Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 12 in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 12. Back in the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and we have been working through a series I have titled Jesus Worldview. Jesus Worldview, where we look through the eyes of the Lord Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, who came to the earth to set things right and really to reconcile us to the God who made us, to bring forgiveness of sin, which stops us and clogs the relationship between us and our Father, the God who made us. And he came to die, he was really born to die, to bring forgiveness of sin for us. He had to be punished, he had to be put to death. Somebody had to pay for the sin. He was treated like a criminal, he was treated like a sinner, though he never sinned. Why did he do that? He sacrificed himself and took the punishment for us so that we could go free. The Lord Jesus seems to bring such a different view than what many hold to on the planet. His view oftentimes is contrary to what we as humans naturally hold to. You want to know why? It's because our hearts are naturally bent towards sin sinning and hurting people, to be honest. I should take it one step further. It's naturally bent towards selfishness. How do we know this? Look at a child. You don't have to teach a child to do wrong, now do you? They naturally, magically know. Oh, it's learned through culture. No contraire. They haven't even experienced any culture. All they do is just go on living, eating, and breathing, and before you know it, they want to hit, they want to, they want to take, they want to say mine, they want to break down and cry for not sharing. They want to do all kinds of things. Just naturally, this is what happens. And you have to take time to teach them what is right, what is good. And I would propose that you are not naturally bent to just do good all day. You say, why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? Why does my heart keep pulling in that direction? I want to love and serve people. I don't want to get angry with people. I don't want to get bitter at that person. I don't want to look down on. I don't want to make me the main priority above all other people and do whatever it takes to make sure that I am happy at the cost of others. Our society would teach us this, that you step on anyone and anything in order to achieve high status. Jesus would say the opposite. He would say, I came not to this earth to be served, but to serve and give myself a ransom for many. Peter would argue with him and say, Lord, no, no, you have to serve. I have to serve you. And Jesus would say, no, no, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in my kingdom. Let the master, let the king, let the Lord show you what is good, what is loving, and what the book of John would tell us is true happiness. He says, if you want to be happy, do this for one another. What? Wash each other's feet. The key to happiness. Interesting, our culture tells us the opposite. 
The title of the message today, if you're taking notes, is Love pe Loving People is Sabbath Rest. Loving people is Sabbath rest. Today we get to look at breaking down religious barriers that stop us from loving other people. I want you to ask yourself that question today. What stops you from loving and serving other people? What is in the way of doing that? All I want you to do is think about that person that you don't like. Oh, that prune. Mm, I want that. Mm. They just get on my nerves. They're an all right person, you know. They're whatever, you know. They're over there in the corner, but I just like I. I just don't. I don't prefer them. What is the barrier that stops you from loving other people? Is it self? Is it something that they did to you? It's interesting because God chooses to love his people regardless of what they do. He loves them because he loves them because he loves them. And he keeps on loving his kids for all of eternity. Interesting. Forgiving us, loving us, and showing grace no matter what. Will we be disciplined? Potentially. Will we have hardship because of our sin and running from God? Absolutely. But his love never stops. We are called to love one another as he has loved us. We must love one another, John 13. By this, all men will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. The most powerful thing that we could do as a church is love one another and love people that we come in contact with. They will know us by our love. Jesus challenges the Pharisees and the religious once again and says, what is wrong with you guys? You're so holy. You're so religious that you don't know how to love people. You're so stuck in your ways and doing your thing that you're literally missing the whole boat of what I've called you to do to love people. This is sermon number 52 through the book of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 12. We will work through verses 9 to 21. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him and to remember whose word we are reading. I'm reading from the Legacy Standard Version. Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. Are you there? It says, And Jesus, departing from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, a man was there, whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they, that they might accuse him. And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. But going out, the Pharisees took counsel together against him as to how they might destroy him. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all and warned them not to make him known in order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet would be fulfilled, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. And he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry. 
nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you work in us? Would you open our ears? Would you open our eyes? Would you open our hearts to receive your love, that we would know your love, and that it would break us down and cause us to love other people, only to build us up to serve other people, to love others as we would love to be loved, do unto others as we want them to do to us. Oh, Lord, give us wisdom. We thank you for your example. I pray through this year, the beginning of this year, we would put staples down in our lives that would cause us to love more this year than ever before for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be, you can be seated. Remember our last time together in the book of Matthew? The Lord was challenged by the Pharisees about the Sabbath. We're still in that text. His disciples, remember, they're walking and picking a piece of grain because they wanted a little snack, and they start chewing on it, and the Pharisees see it, and they're like, dude, what's wrong with your disciples? They're eating on the Sabbath. They worked on the Sabbath. They went and picked grain, which is not lawful. And Jesus says, was it lawful for David and his boys to go into the temple back in the Old Testament days and walk up to the holy table of showbread and have a little snack because they were hungry? And then he said, do you know who is greater than David? And do you know who is Lord of the Sabbath? It's me. Our context bleeds into the next passage here. This talk of the Sabbath continues on. Jesus had to correct the religious leaders. It's not work to eat on a day of rest. They got the law wrong again. They read the letter of the law, but they missed the meaning of the law, the spirit of the law. And oftentimes we do this. We've talked about this many times before, but I'll give you a quick illustration just to remind you. Again, if uh, what does our law say regarding red lights? When a red light takes place, uh, we are to stop, right? We are to come to a halt there at the line on the street. But if there was a semi barreling down at 50 miles an hour lost out of control, would you then move out of the way though there is a red light? No, but the law says it's a red light. Let me take it a step further. If there is uh, police officers and or firefighters trying to get through at a red light, do we move out of the way? No, no, no. We're to stop at a red light. It is the law, no doubt, to stop at a red light. But what is the meaning of its law? It is to hopefully stop people from crashing into each other. And so we are to apply its meaning and its spirit before its letter. And this is what the Pharisees are always doing. You can't work on the Sabbath, thus you can't pick some grain and have a snack. It's like, guys, it's not working on the Sabbath. They're just picking a little bit of grain. Yeah, but if you let them pick a little bit of grain, before you know it, they'll be picking a handful of grain. Then they'll be picking a bag full of grain. Then they'll be, before you know it, they'll be working on the Sabbath, and they'll be taking down the whole field. Jesus argues against it. He says it wasn't wrong. 
I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Instead of this, this story being wrapped around the Sabbath's work and rest, we see it being wrapped and centered on mercy, compassion. Is it lawful to show mercy and compassion over the Sabbath? First thing to notice is Jesus was walking through the grain fields in our last few verses, and now he makes his way into where, Bible students? The synagogue. He goes into the synagogue, verse 9. So he is in the place of worship, their church scenario. Can you imagine Jesus coming up here to church and hanging out with us? Is that the Lord sitting over there in the third row? I think that's Jesus, the healer, the miracle worker. So he sits down in their church scenario, and this is where the discussion takes place. I'm not sure why exactly, but most contexts we have of Jesus in our minds is that, in our mind's eye, is that he was always teaching in the fields and healing in the public outside. We don't think of him as being in church walls, uh, in the church walls of those days, talking with the religious and those in attendance. We don't think of Jesus going to synagogue every Saturday, but no doubt he did. Because he was a Jew, and every Jewish person following the law to a T, as he fulfilled the law perfectly, would be at synagogue on the Sabbath to worship and would make it to the temple regularly, especially if you were living near Jerusalem. So no doubt he was in and around the synagogue all the time, and all of the religious leaders knew him. So Jesus was at church on Saturday, the Sabbath, and there was a man with a crippled hand in attendance. And the religious leaders saw that Jesus was there, and they had been plotting ways on how they could catch him in error against the law of Moses and, against, uh, and so that they could accuse him of being a false prophet and have him excommunicated from the community or, of course, as we know, put to death. Blaspheme. The religious leaders didn't like Jesus because he was exposing their gig over and over. He undermined their religious views and practices. The Lord would show up, and they would want to challenge him, and then he'd be like, all right, you want to, you want to rock and roll? Let's go. They approach the Lord to question and trap him. They say, Yeshua, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? so that they might accuse him. Maybe they were nosing over to the guy with the withered hand. Is it good to heal? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? What they didn't know, plot twist, is that he's trapping them. He and the father had planned earlier that day that the man with the withered hand would be in church so that he would show the Pharisees they were wrong. They had no clue who he was and what he was up to. The Lord, no doubt, had his plans on how to reveal himself and what would happen. There were not mistakes taking place. You see, in their man-made rules, the additions they made to the law of Moses to help explain the Sabbath rules, this is what would happen. Here would be the law of Moses. Don't work on the Sabbath. Keep it holy. They would then write out a commentary 
breaking down, let's just add another 100 rules on what it looks like not to break the Sabbath. Don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. They had their own man-made rules. We do this oftentimes with Christianity. We do this oftentimes with religion. We build out all kinds of man-made stuff in order to add to the Word of God and make it palatable for ourselves. It happened in the Garden of Eden, do you remember? You say, uh, Adam and Eve were there and they started talking with the serpent, Satan. And uh, they, when they talked about the tree, they were asked, so what's wrong with this tree? What's going on? Oh, we are not allowed to touch or eat of the tree. But God never said that. So yeah, he did. You're not to eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Correct. But he did not say you couldn't touch it. They added the word touch to the command of God. And I guarantee one day they walk up to it and they're like, maybe we're not supposed to touch it. And they put a little fence around it. And they say, you know, don't go within 50 feet. You know, this is probably good. We shouldn't go within 50 feet, you know, if we want to make sure we don't fall. God didn't say any of this. And before you know it, one of them goes up within 50 feet and nothing happens. Hmm. Then they go up and they step over the little fence and they say, huh, nothing happened. I broke the law. Didn't nothing happen? They go, yeah, well, surely I can't touch the thing. It's magical. You know, we can't. They touch it and nothing happens. Then surely if I eat of the fruit, maybe nothing will happen. This is how the self-righteous trap themselves within sin. They get closer. They set up barriers, and they get closer and closer to the problem. And before you know it, they are breaking the true commands of God in their hearts and hurting people. And here we have these guys setting up rules and regulations. What was the rule and regulation for healing? Check this out. They had written in their rules and regulations that if someone had broken a bone on the Sabbath day, a doctor would not be allowed to set the bone in place. They would have to wait till the next day to go to work and set the bone in place. So it is better that no one works and rests and to let the person stay in pain than to set the bone and move on with it. This is classic. But you can see how we do this. It's bizarre. But Jesus would challenge them with a question. One of my favorite things Jesus does is he answers questions with questions to get people to think before he gives them the answer. This is what he says. Look at verse 11. He says to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? Question. He says, do you know anybody? Is there anyone among you who if his sheep falls into a hole on the Sabbath, because it's the Sabbath, will leave the sheep in the hole until the following day because that would be work to lift the sheep out. Your dog falls into a hole. So Sabbath, you know, I can't lift that dog out. Sorry, I'll be back tomorrow. It makes no sense. Well, you can't work, though, so how are you going to get it out? 
Of course, the man would quickly lift that sheep out before anything bad happens to it. And then Jesus adds, verse 12, how much more valuable then is man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Nail in the coffin. Showing, I should add, Los Angeles, that humans are more valuable than sheep, than animals. It's like your neighbor that you hate falls into a hole and your dog falls into a hole. It's like, I'm going to save the dog. Leave the neighbor in there. <laughs> Two people are a dog and a person's drowning. Who do we save? LA people are like, I think I'm going to save the dog. It's a joke. Come on. No, no, you'll, you'll save the dog, but you'll let the cat drown, right? Is that, is that what it is? Yes. Yeah, no, that's easy. it doesn't work. It neither works. It is lawful to heal on the Sabbath, he concludes. What's crazy to me is they acknowledge a couple things. The pharisaical religious leader, leaders acknowledge a couple things. Number one, that Jesus has the ability to heal on the Sabbath. Because they're talking to him about it. Is it good to heal on the Sabbath? They want to trap him. It's like, doesn't it dawn on you if he has the power to heal that you can't trap him? He has the supernatural. And ask him if they actually ask him if he would do it. And then if it's breaking the law to do so. The deeper question being posed here by Jesus is not what is breaking the Sabbath or not breaking the Sabbath, but... What is loving your neighbor? And is loving your neighbor a part of the Sabbath? And Jesus would conclude that loving your neighbor is the greatest thing you could do on the Sabbath. For loving people is rest, not work. It's not a burden, it's a blessing. He says, of course, loving people and taking care of people on the Sabbath is far better than obeying any dumb rule. We get this mixed up. When we are keeping the letter of the law somehow instead of loving people, we are missing the whole point of the law of God. And I want to reiterate that to you a thousand times over, if I can. It is far better to love and serve a person than to keep a rule. And you will see God, what seems to be breaking rules over and over and over and over and over again through the Bible in order to see people loved and served. How so? Jesus brought it up. David was a great illustration of that. David literally broke the temple laws. You can't just, you can't just walk into the temple and start eating bread. That bread is holy. It's for, it's the table of showbread. It's for the priests. But Jesus argued that it was far greater to see him loved and his men taken care of than them to go hungry. He broke the law. No, he didn't. He wrote the law. He owns the law. And he is interpreting for you what you are missing in the law, what you are missing in the text. 1 Corinthians 13 baffles me over and over again. It says, if you can speak the tongues of angels, but you don't have love. If you can speak all the languages on the planet, but you don't have love, you got nothing. If you have all the knowledge of the world, but you don't have love, you have nothing. He says, 
If, if you can speak the words of, of this or that, but have not love, you're, you're, you're doing nothing. You're just a clanging cymbal or gong. No one wants to hear that. And sadly, why aren't we as Christians in our circles known for our love? Above all things, you know, I don't agree with them on that Jesus stuff, but they're the most loving people I have ever met in my entire life, and who can argue with that? That should be our testimony in this city. Not, I'll never work with a Christian again. Business, never. Not, you know, they're some of the worst people on the planet, man. You know, it's just like, yeah, don't cross them. Oh, God, teach us humility. My yoke is easy, my burden is like... Be yoked to me. Learn from me. This is what Christ is trying to teach these Pharisees. When you would rather keep some religious law above helping or loving a person, you're missing the whole point. Someone is crying in a need of prayer and you say, sorry, I'm busy. I have to tear down these chairs and fulfill my duty. We are missing loving people. We just miss the whole shebang. Who cares about the chairs? This, this doesn't matter. What well, has to be done, Martha? No, Mary is doing the more honorable thing. It's love God and love people. Trust me, I have been in this situation so many times. And if you know me personally, I could be a rough guy. I don't like that about myself. I don't like the shrewdness in my mind sometimes. I don't. I wish I was more gracious. I wish I was more humble. I wish, and I hope that God will impart that to me long term, to be a cheerful, to be a jolly, happy old man. That's what I want. I don't want to be some grumpy stick in the mud that nobody wants to be around. I don't like that. But that we'd be known by our love for one another. If an old lady falls and hurts herself but we're late to church and think it's better to run into the church than to stop and to help the lady, how can this be the love of God? Who cares about being to church on time? Someone is hurting. We're missing it. Jesus is saying to these guys, are you serious? How can you miss this? You think it's sinful to heal someone on the Sabbath because it's seen as work somehow to help someone? The whole point of the Sabbath is to bring true rest to yourself and others. And this would be the greatest moment of rest to a person who has been crippled. For them to be healed on the Sabbath would be the greatest moment of rest, would it not? For both people. If the doc could make the hand be healed in that single moment. I'm not saying work every Sabbath. That's not what I'm saying. But if you had the ability to heal somebody in a moment on the Sabbath to take care of a need, why wouldn't we do that? I find that when we get the opportunity given by God, and that's why I try to look for those, it doesn't mean that it's every moment of every day, but I try to look for those opportunities that when the Lord brings one to me and I stop what I'm doing and I focus in on that and I end up trying to love and serve that person as God would have me to, that I walk away more blessed than the person. 
And I walk away refreshed and filled and rested. Oftentimes we miss the opportunity to love others because we don't stop and take a moment to look through their eyes, to look through their eyes. What is going on inside of them? Let me say it again. Oftentimes we miss the opportunity to love and serve other people because we don't stop and look through their eyes. Not your eyes, that's easy. You got to look through their eyes. We should not be saying to ourselves, yes, I want them to look through my eyes right now. No. You look through their eyes. You look through their eyes. Again, we love to turn it back to ourselves. Let them look through my eyes and understand. If everyone was simply trying to look through the other person's eyes, we might be able to understand what's going on. We are stuck in our own perspective. We can be blinded by our own views and responsibilities to miss another person's needs. The Pharisees would rather be seen holy as not doing work on the Sabbath than to helping a person with a broken bone. This is crazy. James chapter 2, the apostle James says in chapter 2 verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? You know, someone comes to you and they're like, I just need prayer. What's going on, man? Uh, you know, we're just, um, this is the bills have like gotten to us the last couple months and I'm just kind of worried about what's happening with the job and, you know, I'm, I'm just hoping we're, we'll be able to make it through the month, you know, and you're like, oh, okay, uh, God bless you, brother. Yeah, be warm and filled, you know. I'll pray for you later. You got a full fridge at home and you got a bank account and you got money there and you can fully take care of your brother's needs. You say, ah, somebody will do it. That was your chance. That was it. Matthew 25, 37, then the religious will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. 1 John 3, 7, the Apostle John writes it as well. Verse 3, 17, if anyone with earthly possessions sees his brother in need but withholds his compassion from him, how can the love of God abide in him? If God sees a need on the earth in his child, does he take care of it? Of course, because he has the resources to do so. If you have what you need, and you see a need, and God brings it in your path. I'm not telling you to take care of every need. I'm asking you to take care of the need that God brings to you. If you see the need that God has brought to you, and you have what you need and more, and you do not take care of that person, how can the love of God be in us? John is arguing. And that's what Jesus is arguing with these Pharisees. Do you realize we live in probably the top, one of the top richest cities in the entire world. We are kings and queens on this planet. We have all that we need. 
We live in abundance. We got junk everywhere. We got so much stuff. And I'm telling you, it is far better to give than receive. Aren't you thankful that God gave for us? Man, I am. And when you get to bless somebody else, it is the greatest blessing. The deal my wife and I have made with each other is that if we see a need and either of us feels led to take care of it, we will do it immediately. We'll just go to the other and say, I think I want to take care of this need. We should do it. And we just do it. There's no questions. It doesn't matter the amount. We're just going to do it. Why? Because God has already filled my account with all that I need. He will do it again and again and again and again. You think I'm going to outgive God? You think I'm going to bless people too much? That was the worst thing I ever did in my life. I blessed people too much. I helped way too many people. I wish I would have never done that. Schindler's List. It was not a burden for Jesus to love his people. It was not a burden for him to go to the cross. It was a blessing. Was it hard? Was it difficult? Was there sacrifice? Yes, of course. His disciples would have counseled him that he was doing the wrong thing to give up his life so early at 33 years old so others could be saved. Say, don't do this. Jesus himself said, if there is another way, let this cup pass from me. It was not easy. But let this, let this pain pass from me is what he was saying. Because it isn't easy to love others, but it does bring rest for both the one giving and the one receiving. And that is what Jesus is trying to say. If there is a broken bone in front of you, set it. Help the person and you will be at rest because you did it. And the person will be at rest because you helped them. The author of Hebrews writes, Hebrews 12 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus gave up for us so that we could have peace. We say that was absolutely terrible. Who would ever want to be crucified and have the wrath of God dumped on your head? Jesus says, for the joy set, me, set before me, I endured the cross. It was a joy for me to endure the cross. Who was the joy? It's you. It's me. It was a joy for him to help and bring rest to us. It was a joy to love people through the cross, and it is always joy for us to love others. I'm telling you, when you genuinely love another person, it is always joyful. You never regret that. You know that? You never regret saying, you know what, man, I just, I loved on that person. I served them. Even if they burn you, even if they do wrong things, say, you know what, I did the right thing. That's the best that I could do. Maybe you're nervous or you wish you wouldn't have gone down that path or you wouldn't have built those relationships. Sure, I get it. But in the end of life, I don't think that we ever regret trying to genuinely love and serve people. It is the way of our God. And if this magically happened for all humans on the planet, where we were choosing to love and serve each other, what do you think that would do to our society? 
Might we experience a little more peace and rest? No, no, I couldn't possibly do that. It's the Sabbath. Look at verse 13. He teaches them a lesson even further, and then he demonstrates it. I love it. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. He has a little argument with the Pharisees. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? No. Stretch out your hand. I love it. Notice the man did not ask for the healing. No doubt he desired it, but he didn't come begging and he didn't ask. Also notice Jesus didn't touch him. He just commanded him. He said, stretch out your hand. And the man listened and did as Jesus said. And as he stretched out his hand, it grew back into a perfect hand just like the other. And they stood in amazement. And Jesus declared again, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. It's me. Don't you get it? This whole thing you're reading about in the synagogue every single Saturday, it's about me. I'm sitting here with you. It's better to love then obey some religious law. These guys are missing it. It's better to love than earn brownie patches through duty. Stuff doesn't matter. We miss the whole thing. You don't look holy when you choose not to love people in the name of religious, pharisaical ways. We look selfish and self-righteous. Too holy to love and heal people. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. 1 John 4, 20 and 21, if someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow brother, that person is a liar. For if we do not love people, we can see. How can we love God who we cannot see? A brother or sister in Christ, if we say, I hate that person in my heart, who you can see. But I love God. The Apostle John argues, how is that even possible? You love God whom you can't see, but you hate your brother or sister whom you can see. Impossible. It makes no sense. You declare your great love for God when you love people. If what you are doing in the name of God, in the name of loving God, is not loving the people around you like Christ would, you're not loving God, plain and simple. That is called self-righteousness, and we miss the whole boat. And I have done this. In the name of being holy, misloving a person. It's a hard balance. It's not easy. You have to be spirit-led. You need to be praying about it. You need to be being with the Lord. You need to be reading his word. And you need to let him guide you in your decisions instead of your own heart and mind. Now you get it. Sometimes people will use this the other direction. In the name of not trying to fulfill what God has explicitly said in his word, we will say we're loving people. That's why we're doing it. Let them live in sin. No, no, no. God would say, this is not good. We can still look. Here it is, LA. Are you ready? Here it is, California. Are you ready? Do you know that you can fully disagree with someone in God's word and still love them? Yeah. It's the best thing ever. 
Jesus told the rich young ruler, I'm sorry, go sell everything that you have and come and follow me. I disagree with you. And it says that Jesus looked upon him with love and told him the truth. That's the magic we need back in this society. We can tell each other the truth in love and keep loving and serving each other afterwards. Look at verse 14. The Pharisees, of course, revealed their hearts even more at verse 14. But going out, after he heals the guy, the Pharisees rejoiced and celebrated that the man who was crippled was healed. No. They took him to lunch and loved him and blessed the Lord because he was healed. Nope. The Pharisees took counsel together against him, Jesus, as to how they might destroy him. What? It's just sick. It's really disgusting. They're so mad at Jesus for making them look dumb, they would rather conspire how to have Jesus killed than to celebrate that someone was healed and recognize that the Lord wants to have the same compassion on them. This is so sad. What they didn't realize is they were the ones crippled. They were the ones in need of the real healing. They were blinded by their own self-righteous, sinful view. Verse 15, but Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all and warned them not to make him known. Quick, very quickly, aware they wanted to kill him, he withdrew. Notice Jesus also retreated at times. They're not going to hang around for you guys to kill me right now. It is not the time. I'm out. It says that many followed him, and he healed every single person. Praise God. He's like, I am the miracle worker. Let's go. Who needs healing? And he just starts healing everyone. And then he tells, after each healing, he tells all the people, I know I've healed all of you, but I want you to know, please do not tell anybody about me yet. Let's keep this a secret. Can we do that? Interesting. Jesus was not looking to build a mega church in that moment. He was running from it. Don't tell anybody about me. Don't tell anybody about our healing church service. Don't do it. Jesus is so contrary, and I absolutely love it. He runs from the crowds many times to go be alone with his father. They ask him to stay. He bails. They ask him to bail. He stays. Verse 17, in order that what was fulfilled spoken through Isaiah the prophet would be fulfilled, saying, this is Isaiah chapter 42 that Matthew is quoting, and we'll end here. Behold my servant whom I have chosen. Matthew, this is his biggest quoting of the, uh, in the book of Matthew of an Old Testament passage. He says, Beloved, uh, Behold my, my servant whom I have chosen. Speaking of Jesus, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. And he shall, be proclaim, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. That's me, that's you. I will put my spirit upon him, as verse 18. Look at verse 19. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. That means he's going to the broken and the lowly. He's not going in the newspaper. He's not going to be on the radio. He's not going to be, that, that's all going to happen naturally, but he's not going to the rich and famous. Verse 20, a battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out. He's going to the broken and the lowly until he leads justice and to victory for them. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. 
Jesus will go after the poor and lowly, not the famous and prideful. Why didn't he just go to Caesar? It's like, first stop, first stop in my ministry, I'm going to the top of the food chain. Let's go to Caesar. I'm going to go to all the kings of the world and I'm going to tell them off. Do miracles before them, break down all their temples and show them who's boss, who's the real king. He says, nah, I'll hang out in the Galilee with the hillbillies, the backwoods folk. And I'm going to minister to them. Oh, I see you're a Galilean. You have an accent. You're not learned. Yeah, we're the, we're the backwoods people. That's where Jesus hung out. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, to the broken. Does God save the rich and the famous? He absolutely does, but only when they are broken and humble. Come to me, all ye that are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's who he speaks to. That's me. That's who I need. That's us. The Lord reached out to us and saved us and praise God that he did. He brought compassion to us. The Pharisees would have looked us over, but Christ made time for us. We're going to enter into communion now and reflect on the great work that Christ has done. And I want you to remember his compassion. That loving people is Sabbath rest. Loving God is Sabbath rest. It's the most restful thing you can do for your soul. We're going to pray, we're going to worship in a song, and then we will uh, partake of elements together, the bread and the cup, and then we will worship in another song. And so I want to pray for us that God would prepare our hearts for communion. If you didn't get a communion cup on the way in, um, after I pray, um, just raise up your hand kind of halfway and we'll make sure that someone brings it to you. I'm going to pray now and they'll bring it to you in just a second. But family, let's prepare our hearts for communion. Let's ready our hearts to partake together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the work of Jesus, your son. And Lord, we want to prepare our hearts for communion now, not just to eat of the bread and drink of the cup in vain, no, but to stop and to pause and to reflect on what you're doing. And Lord, we confess that we have sinned against you. We confess our need for you. We confess that you are Lord and Savior over our lives once again, and we ask now for forgiveness. Prepare our hearts to take in a holy manner that's pleasing to you, that blesses you in an authentic, real, genuine way, that loves you, causes us to want to love and serve one another. Oh God, work in our hearts as we prepare our hearts for communion now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.